and welcome to Say Hi to the Future, a podcast aimed at highlighting the human side of ingenuity, clever, inventive, and original thinking. My name is Ken Tenser, CEO of SpiderWorks, a leading business consultancy for mid-market organizations and entrepreneurs globally. Thank you for listening, and I hope you enjoy the show. Sebastian, welcome to Say Hi to the Future. Thank you. So tell me, I mean, firstly, you have a lot of experience um, in global transportation. I mean, you have a master's in in aerospace engineering. You've worked with leaders like Bombardier, Safra, and Airbus Group. How how did that become a a passion of yours or, you know, a focal point of your career? Well, I always was uh, kind of interested by um, airplanes. Uh, so that's justifiably the, uh, the the first years of uh, my professional uh, uh, career. Uh, but I was not a good fit, uh, or I don't consider myself as a good fit uh, for those big corporations. And uh, and I think there is a, an advice, not an advice, but something I've been following is that if you want to start a company, it's better to do it in the field where you have a bit of expertise. And to yeah to remain in that same uh, same field and uh, that tube transportation concept we're working on at Transport right now is literally an aircraft without wings. So it's not really far from what I used to do. There's actually way more. It's actually even closer to a spacecraft than an aircraft. So uh, even if it's travel at ground level, it's um, yeah it's it's within my understanding. I would say. So when you say that, that's interesting because obviously we're becoming um, more attuned to. Um, I mean, you have the Transpod, the, the Hyperloop, the what? There's there's just a whole different bunch of introductions into that high speed transportation at ground level. I've never heard it called or likened to a spacecraft or an aircraft. How so? Yeah, it's actually uh, the almost the most obvious. Uh thinking you may have when you you look at that and it, you're right I mean people don't don't look at that most of the time compare that to a nice speed train or mm-hmm. and but not to a spacecraft uh, just in a few words about the um, the concept it's been around for many years and uh, like many years and popularized recently by Musk in 2012 or 2013 and uh, he changed the name wanted to call it uh, <laughs> he thought that tube transportation was not sexy enough, so mm-hmm. that's a hyperloop to have a bit of hype behind that. Basically, it consists of having uh, vehicles the size of a train, coach, or a bus uh, traveling in a low-pressure tube. And this is where the spacecraft analogy comes in, meaning that the low-pressure tube, uh, we're dealing with pressure around 100 pascal, uh, so it's like similar pressure levels that if you're flying at uh, 50,000 feet, okay, or 50, no, actually it's more than that. It's uh, if you're flying at 50 kilometers above the, above, uh, so it's it's at the edge of space. And so you need, uh, in order for passengers to uh, breathe in the uh, vehicle, you need a pressurized cabin like on an airplane. Uh, but with uh, uh, higher tolerances than uh, than for an airplane because airplanes fly at 10 kilometers above ground, roughly 10 to 12. And we're talking about 50 kilometers above ground, uh, like in terms of pressure level. 
this is where the requirements uh, will need uh, uh, we're working on right now to develop our vehicle are uh, closer to those applied for uh, for spacecraft. And to finish on that, the fact that you're removing 99% of the air in the tube allows the the vehicle to, in theory, achieve speeds uh, up to 1,000 kilometers an hour. So you're looking at airplane speeds on the ground. How does this work? How does this fit into our transportation needs? Because, I mean, we, we have planes, we have boats, we've got high-speed trains or high-ish speed trains. Um, relative to what you're saying, where does it fit into the whole transportation ecosystem? It's an excellent question, and that's one question we had at the beginning. Like, if you want to develop a new transportation mode, it has to be better than existing ones. If it's not, uh, let's fly, take the car, the train, or the boat. Uh, no need to kind of uh, spend lots of energy in that. And to make it better, there is more than the speed. It must be um, uh, easier to use in a way that that system will provide the frequency of the subway with the speed of the aircraft. So really, of uh, customer experience, we want this system to remove all the stress uh, we have uh, when we travel. Even if we're used to, we're always, I'd say, uh, running into situations where you're stuck in traffic and uh, you're thinking about, oh, I may might miss my airplane or and you don't want to go through all the, uh, I would say, painful process of the insurance, get reimbursed, rebooking the ticket anyway. Mm -hmm. So if you know that you'll have vehicles every two, three minutes or two to five minutes like a subway, you're removing all of that. Then there's other benefits as well in terms of environmental benefits. The first one I have is, of course, it's fully electric. The goal is to power the line with uh, renewable energies, nuclear included. Uh, otherwise, uh, it's pointless if you power that with uh, coral uh, plants. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> right. Point uh, here. Uh, but then in terms of noise, the advantage we have is that uh, being in a low pressure environment is that sound doesn't propagate uh, well in a low pressure environment. If you cry in space, nobody will hear you. <laughs> so. Uh, <laughs> And uh, that's kind of the same uh, in the tube. Uh, so the amount of vibration and noise is really uh, way lower than an airplane or a high-speed train. It's also protected from the uh, weather elements. So if you have a snowstorm like we have in Canada uh, yeah. or a, a thunderstorm, whatever, uh, you protect it. It's a guided system. It's actually... When you look at that, it's safer than a train or uh, an airplane. And then uh, the speed, I would say it's really uh, for a um, um, continent like uh, uh, like North America, Australia, and, and some lines in the Middle East. Uh, the uh, challenge uh, high-speed train have been facing in North America is that distances are um, uh, uh, bigger, greater than um, uh, what we have in Europe. And uh, then the um, the airplanes still have a significant advantage over uh, trains because even if you have a nice speed train at three hundred thousand power uh, uh, traveling at uh, two hundred kilometers an hour, if you have uh, fifteen hundred kilometers to do, <laughs> right. like New York, for example, or yeah, Chicago, uh, uh, Montreal, yeah, many people will still uh, will 
prefer flying rather than taking the train. But if we have a transport system between those two cities, then this is where it kind of starts to be uh, quite interesting. And the last item, which is the most important, is um, the ability to make those lines profitable. In Europe, Europe made the choice to provide public service uh, with high-speed train, knowing that most of those lines won't be profitable. And when we started that, when we were developing radical innovation, uh, it's not uh, you can't afford to to lose money because <laughs> yeah. uh, you are dealing first with the uh, with the innovation risk. And so, uh, how how can we uh, address the financial uh, risk? And uh, in our infrastructure, we can mix uh, we can mix uh, freight and passengers. Uh, freight, we're talking time-sensitive freight. So everything shipped by DHL, FedEx, Amazon, not uh, heavy freight. And uh, by mixing, uh, by being able to mix passengers and freight uh, in the tube, uh, then you have a way better business case than a nice speed train. So when you combine all of that, then that makes sense to, this is why we're convinced that this is the, the future of ground transportation. This system can bring uh, to people uh, what internet uh, brought to uh, information. So uh, uh, if we uh, dream a little bit uh, or get that vision, it's to get the uh, uh, subway map at the uh, continent level. And uh, rather than having, uh, I don't know, two subway stations, subway station could be replaced by uh, uh, cities at the continent level. I know. That's okay. No, I, it's Alex, thank you for that. That's, that's a fascinating look at it. So. Here's my question back to you, though, when I listen to it, and I, and I think I've had this, I, I, this is not a unique thought. I mean, you talk about the internet, but the internet, I don't see. I don't need space. I don't need physical space. Where does this model work in terms of, because it does need physical space, track, track space. I don't know that runs yeah. on a track or above, but how does, how does that come to be? So uh, definitely we have to be, it's not, well, internet, there is a bit of infrastructure. You still have to install a fiber optics line, right. whatever. Yeah. Uh, but uh, uh, yeah, nothing comparable to uh, what we do. Uh, for us, we, um, we definitely need an infrastructure. You need to build those corridors uh, between those lines, uh, between those cities. The, uh, the corridor, the, the, the configuration by default is above ground uh, for a simple reason. The uh, again to be better than existing mode and have in mind a high speed train, we want to avoid uh, the uh, expropriation aspect uh, when it comes to uh, uh, land acquisition. Mm-hmm. Uh, being above ground, we, we will allow uh, farmers to continue to operate their land, and we also will allow the wildlife to continue to do its life. And because of the low, uh, I would say, uh, uh, noise aspect, yeah, we we aim for the wildlife not to be annoyed by uh, uh, our system. So, and uh, and depending on the geography, you may have to um, uh, dig tunnels if you have the Rockies to cross or the Alps or whatever. Differently, yeah, you you need tunnels. So if you enter into a dense area, it might be uh, actually cheaper to be uh, underground or at ground level. So we have all kind of uh, configuration, but by default for the line we're working right now in Alberta, or even if tomorrow we do Toronto, Montreal, the objective is to be above ground, to actually uh, have an easier path 
to cut deals with uh, landowners and uh, uh, having kind of a more uh, a business interaction with them rather than telling them, sorry guys, we have a line <laughs> going through your land. You're allowed to mm-hmm. be exploited if you don't want to sell it. <laughs> anyway, so, uh, and, and, and those infrastructure will take time. Uh, take time and money, but money, the good news is that there's lots of uh, capital uh, available right now, or even, I mean, it's been a few years now, but lots of capital, and uh, they're looking for infrastructure projects. So, um, uh, however, they're not giving blank check, <laughs> and we have to demonstrate, uh, we have to demonstrate the, uh, the business case, and this is where the mixed freight passengers can, can definitely uh, uh, that's definitely our value proposition right now. So one, I, I really appreciate the thought that expropriation is not um, necessary, not ne- or not necessarily uh, required. I think I think that's a great uh, you know to to coexist with with what is already there. I think that's a uh, a good strong opportunity. My my, I guess so. Just building the business case. So um, is this. Is this for a government? Um, has this become a public utility? Are these privately run networks? At the moment, those infrastructure are fully private. Even if we we um, like to call them uh, public-private partnership, okay, mm-hmm. or like PPP project, uh, as we know in in many other infrastructure. Uh, um, what I'm saying at the moment, it's because uh, we know that governments are most of the time uh, risk adverse, uh, despite what they say every day. <laughs> they don't want to take a risk, and because they use the argument, oh, we we don't want to lose uh, taxpayer money, which we fully understand. We um, so the 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 relationship or the partnership we're trying to get with governments is more helping us to. Um, execute the project not to spend any money but just to kind of work with us on the on the paperwork uh, in alberta for example we need a, a confirmation that transport is part of the railway act and down the road if if, it, if we're not part of the railway act we may need the government to modify it so this is the type of relationship and uh, we want also the governments to um uh, i think it's it's um and I should not say that, but uh, I'm I'm I mean I'm convinced that's the right way to do. Governments should have a say uh, in those infrastructure, meaning that even if they don't invest, I encourage them to be uh, part of those entity executing those projects with some veto rights to make sure that this transportation system doesn't uh, become a transportation system for rich people or. If politically speaking, uh, there's a need to add a station uh, in, uh, we have the example with Red Deer in Alberta. Financially speaking, it doesn't make any sense to um, to add a station. Uh, but, but if we don't do it, we're not helping the city to develop economically speaking. Mm-hmm. So we want the government to be involved in order to tell investors that, okay, if you want to execute, if you want to have the the big piece of the pie, you must have a station. Because if they don't do anything, if they let the, the private sector do whatever they want. So far, we still have the majority on those uh, on those projects, so we can we can have a, 
I would say, a, a wise way of executing that. Uh, but to, we lose the majority on those projects uh, because we have to execute and, and they have a different view on how to do it. We may not have that except if the if governments uh, are involved uh, somehow. So that's the end. So public-private partnership, no money right now. Oh, and to finish on that, those infrastructure, and I understand that governments may be a bit skeptical at the beginning, they want to see first, but we're convinced that those infrastructure will generate revenue. Uh, so uh, for government's budget, it might be good to have some shares of those projects to uh, get some. <laughs> <laughs> so when you look at this, and I mean, if you're in the air, you can book uh, a flight with Air Canada from one part of Canada to the other. You can book a flight from WestJet from one part of Canada to the other. What happens here? I mean, because there are other pod or Hyperloop or whatnot technologies that are being developed. I mean, if each province of each part of the province chooses a different technology, we don't have the benefit of running across the country like like the Trans-Canada Highway, for instance. How do you see that business model opening up to actually be beneficial and not make us get off the pot every two hours and go to the next one? That's a, yeah, it's a really good question. Uh, it's actually a concern uh, Europe has. Uh, they talk a lot about uh, interoperability because they have the experience between the different European countries uh, of uh, trains not being compatible. <laughs> So, uh, and uh, even, yeah, the, the railway or the rail gauge and, and uh, whatever it's, they took, it's taking them some, some, you know, significant amount of time to kind of try to make it compatible. So they, Europe is pushing us to be, uh, to work on something common, uh, to be interoperable. To be specific on to your question in North America and, and what may happen next, there's two scenarios. The first one is that several companies emerge and start to develop uh, infrastructure projects across the country and that interoperability will, will probably have to be enforced by regulators. So that's one scenario. The second scenario is that the winners takes all. <laughs> like, uh, meaning that we have a chance today uh, to... Um, First of all, Transport is the only company with a first infrastructure project in Alberta with some financing confirmed. I think we uh, we have a one, if not the strongest uh, engineering strategy on how to develop the technology. Uh, we have a pretty good understanding on how to uh, uh, to make it work and a pass forward. And there is a significant uh, investment coming in in the company. So. As of today, uh, uh, we're working to uh, take the lead on that market and uh, definitely uh, execute uh, the project in a uh, in a way uh, which is way faster than our competitors. Mm. Uh, in North America, our two American competitors are losing pace in a in a political way. Mm-hmm. And uh, we're working with in Texas as well. Uh, in addition to Alberta, we have some discussion as well about Toronto, Montreal, and uh, Washington State, and, and so on. So uh, the other competitors are in uh, in Europe. 
And Europe, we for us, it's not uh, a market because of the amount of uh, trains they already have. Right. So it's really North America, Australia, and uh, Middle East. I think we're well positioned right now. And uh, I would love if you could ask me the question in uh, six months uh, to confirm what I just uh, 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 told you. Uh, so the goal is really kind of to take the lead. Having said that, uh, there is one um, one country uh, which is actually uh, for I see them uh, being our biggest competitor more than the other companies is uh, China. China is investing a lot in this technology uh, and uh, uh, to develop their uh, their own technology uh, in a way. So. One scenario, maybe that's the third one, which may occur, is having, um, let's say that we become the, the next kind of uh, transportation giant or ground transportation tech developing the network in North America. I won't be surprised that China uh, uh, will develop its uh, own version of it. Mm-hmm. And then we'll have like Airbus and Boeing, we'll have maybe two players competing in that uh, in that market so uh, anyway that's, okay. we'll see so i mean look you mentioned alberta you mentioned why i i did in the reading i think you've got one in in limoges and and, and france so limoges is a limoges is a test facility okay. uh the r d it's not a, it's not an infrastructure uh, project per se when will i be able to uh, buy my first ticket for alberta then so hopefully before uh, 2035 so that's the that's the plan in terms of timeline uh we aim to kick off construction end of next year for that uh, test track uh, between the edmonton airport and the south end of the city then two years of construction so uh to be so finished in 2027 uh, then two years of testing 2027 2028 2029 and then this will give us the green light to build the full line. The full line, 200 kilometers, if we're really good, could be done uh, like again, 2033. So that's why it's okay, let's aim for before 2035. Okay. That will be my retirement present to myself. I'm going to come out to Alberta. <laughs> yeah, it will. And But even before that, if we uh, only, uh, only starting the uh, construction of the test track hopefully next year that would put alberta and canada on the map definitely uh you know as our time is it's, it's come to a close here uh sebastian sebastian Gendron of transpod uh thank you so much and you know for your time today and just you know one one final question because it's been a fascinating uh 30 minutes uh, hyperloop technology i mean is it really the future of of you know transportation and mid Mid-haul transportation, I might say. To maybe clarification, Hyperloop is not, it's like um, if we were talking about car technology, so it's not, there's no uh, tech per se uh, behind uh, uh, the word Hyperloop. Uh, okay. we're looking at, uh, yeah, we're trying to differentiate ourselves on that word. You know, it's like a Kleenex or Kodak. Mm-hmm. It was that uh, Musk uh, uh, kind of put that name uh, out there, but now it's kind of sticking uh, in our back. <laughs> so <laughs> let's get rid of it. We may actually run a, 
a marketing campaign uh, similar to what Macintosh did uh, uh, in the nineties uh, uh, to um, uh, to uh, differentiate themselves from uh, Microsoft <laughs> from personal computer. Mm -hmm. So uh, anyway, uh, but to answer your question, yeah, that's the future. Uh, high speed train um, and they reach out. They reach a physical limit. Uh, they go. They can go beyond three hundred kilometers an hour. They do some tests time to time to five hundred. But operationally speaking, uh, they're limited to uh, uh, to 300. And from a business case uh, standpoint, we've seen that in Europe, 80% of those high-speed rail lines are not profitable, so it's not sustainable. So we need to rethink the way we travel. And uh, cars are nice, but it's I don't see that being the. Uh, it's not like uh, not being the future, but we. Uh, we have to uh, diversify. We need to have other modes of transportation. Airplanes will continue to evolve with hydrogen and other type of uh, uh, fuel. Uh, meanwhile, as the population grow, we'll have uh, other needs. And tube transportation are we see them we see that as being the future uh, for all the reasons we've discussed: low noise level, hundred percent electric. Uh, easier to use, uh, faster, more environmentally friendly. So that's okay. That's we have a way to connect cities in a way more efficient way than what we have today. So uh, need to uh, get it done. Well, we look forward to it. Earlier, you said you know, ask you again in six months. We we often do uh, checkbacks. So if you have something that you want to update us with, uh, reach out to Sonia. We love to do quick updates uh, on our podcast and on our social media to keep uh, engaged with our say hi to the future thing. No difficulty on one one topic in, in six months is uh, how uh, uh, innovation is being financed uh, nowadays. Love to chat about that one. So again, Sebastian, thank you so much. Thank you for talking about Transpot and we'll, we'll speak again. Excellent. Thank you very much. If you enjoy this episode and you want to support our show, leave us a review and join our mailing list by visiting www.spider.works. That's S-P-Y-D-E-R.works and subscribe to our channel. Leave us a comment with who we should interview next. Thank you for listening and see you all next Friday.